Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into Nothing But Rants, otherwise known as MBR around here. It is Monday night. It is nine o'clock. I did have a cool little countdown ticker for you, ladies and gentlemen, over there on YouTube. I get told all the time, Brooks, can you give me something? Can you give me some animation? Can you give me something so I don't jump in right as you're midway through your opening or right as you're midway through the take? Well, guess what? We got something for you, and I got something for you in a loaded show. Forewarning for all of those in attendance tonight. It was a double cup of death wish to the face type of night tonight, so your boy is juiced up. And that's why we like to be here on Nothing But Rants. These are takes that I'm passionate about. These are hot. Wait, wait, who is it? These are takes that I'm hot about, not hot takes. Um, Nothing But Rants, the show, obviously, where I bring you topics that I'm extremely passionate about, and I rant upon them or pontificate, if you will, big words tonight pontificate probably going to be my one uh but no i got a loaded show for you tonight i tweeted it out just a little bit ago gave you the rundown of the show the guys in the discord and gals in the discord have known about these uh show topics for about what i would say about 10 hours today they helped me you know put them together but um just a general rundown before we get into the show i got media members starting to get involved with this name image and likeness stuff i'll give you my thoughts and opinions on that uh, Florida, for the first time in quite a while, getting kind of trashed in these preseason type of debates and, and, and topics of discussion um, by the national media. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Everyone in Florida getting trashed except for Emory Jones for some reason. There's a lot of people that like what he's got to bring to the table. And for that matter, I kind of do too. But I'll tell you uh, about my questions that I have about Florida going into this season. Uh, we're going to put a little something to bed. For the Georgia fan base, there's been one topic of discussion that I've seen on my Twitter timeline over and over and over again for the better part of the last almost year at this point. We're going to try our best to lay that one to bed tonight. And I will talk about my biggest questions that I have about this Georgia roster and Georgia football team headed into fall camp. We're a little bit less than a month away from fall camp starting in Athens. You know, obviously they got a big one September 4th against Clemson. So Camp could not get any more important than it did this year or does this year for the University of Georgia. We'll talk a little bit about that. I'm excited to have you guys all in here tonight. But before we get into our first topic of discussion tonight, we got to take care of a little business, okay? So however you found this, whether you're on podcast, yes, we do have a podcast platform. I know most of you guys ingest my content via YouTube. But hey, maybe you're one of these people that can only catch 10 or 15 minutes of the show. And then maybe you got to go to bed because you got to get up early in the morning. That's fine. Catch me on your drive to work through podcast platforms. Just search the Film Guy Network, however, however you find your podcast. Once you get there, please like, subscribe, rate, and review over there. That's how we boost up those charts. So would appreciate you doing that. While you're here on the YouTube uh, channel watching it live, hit that thumbs up button, man. That's how we really boost up. That's how we trick the algorithms, if you will. Um, getting a little nerdy talk here. That's how we trick the YouTube algorithms to get this show up and more on other people's feed. So we appreciate your support that way. Um, you know, the, the rule here on the uh, on the YouTube channel, any super subscriptions go directly to free subs to the Patreon account. That is patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin. If you are not a member over there, well, you need to get over there. So please feel free to sign up over there, $10 a month, and it'll probably be the best $10 a month you spend. Ooh, hello. That's that death wish coming back up. Um, no, it's probably the best $10 you will spend all month. Save the pub sub dollars, save the subway dollars, and come holler at the Patreon subscription, patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin. How about that? All the business, all the intro, handled in about five minutes. 
That's what that caffeine does to a brother. All right. But I did tell you, yes, Robert, you can get in there. You are off suspension originally, or, you know, officially, but just be careful, man. Just be careful. Don't be throwing it around. We get it. Um, you, you, you love the content. You love to support the content. I love you for loving to support the content, but don't go crazy. I don't want your wife mad at me saying, you gave that joker how much money this month? Yeah, don't do that. I don't want, I don't want any wives mad at me because we're spending too much money on Brooks's, you know, silly content, whatever it is that we provide over here. But appreciate all you guys for being here tonight. Um, I feel back and ready and hot. Obviously, last week we, we had an NBR show. I was fresh off of a red eye from L.A. No excuses. You know, my dad used to say excuses are like buttholes. Everybody's got one and they all stink. Well, I'm going to give you an excuse on last week. I just wasn't back ready to be on camera and on a microphone. So I had to get warmed up. So we appreciate you guys for doing all that. And good God, as soon as I open up subscription models, Jeremiah comes in with a $50 sub and uh, Rob comes in with a $10 sub. So now I have six imme immediately right off the bat. We have six free subscriptions to patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin. Appreciate you guys for that. Um, hop in now. If you want those now, the DMs are open on Twitter. I guarantee you they'll go like that. We had 21 free subscriptions um, a couple weeks back on an MBR. Those things went within an hour after the show. So feel free to holler at me right now. Get in line and get in those uh, free subs right now. We're already up to six right off the bat. Appreciate all of you guys. Um, had a great weekend this past weekend. We had our first meet up with the film guy fam over at Dan Kylie's house. Shout out to Dan and his beautiful wife, Allison, for playing host to us. Um, Joker's over there at his house. We had a great time. So uh, appreciate all you guys for the donations and the support of our content. It really means a lot. Um, it quite literally has changed my life. And those of you in Discord know that. Uh, so we appreciate you for being there. But let's get right into this first topic, uh, which is my biggest questions that that Georgia has to answer this fall camp. I already told you just how important it is um, this fall camp. Good Lord, we got another 25. Um, guys, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep trying to show these up on the screen, but we got to move through these topics or up. We'll sit all night um, and talk about subscriptions um, and free subs. So another two and a half subs right there. We're up to eight and a half. SSL, if you are here tonight, um, keep a rolling tab on these. Harrison, I see you here. Keep a rolling tabs on these, if you will, guys, so we know exactly how many we have to give away after the show tonight. Appreciate all of you guys for the super subs. But anyways, my biggest questions heading into the camp, um, you know, fall camp. Fall camp, very important aspect of any college football, right? And last year was a little bit altered because of everything that was going on, especially spring practice, gone, completely off the ta table last year. This year, we've had a pretty normal offseason, right? Going to have a very normal fall camp, I believe. A lot of pads popping, a lot of positions to be fought for, and that's what we're here to talk about. There still are some questions to be left to be answered on this roster. Despite how, how few of holes there are on this roster for the University of Georgia, there are still some questions to be answered. Let's talk about them right now. First off the bat is left tackle. I don't think they're going to answer any actual questions this fall during the camp circuit. I think left tackle is going to get figured out throughout the season. Um, I, I do believe you're going to see Jamari Sawyer starting at left tackle against Clemson. That's my thought process. That is sourced information. Um, but that's also what I would do, right? I've said it on this platform multiple times. It's much, much easier to hide a young guy making his first career start against a front seven like Clemson has on the interior, right? I can have a good center next to him. I can have a, a solid tackle next to him. Whereas if I'm starting a true freshman or a redshirt freshman, or if I'm starting Xavier Trust out there at left tackle, it's really, really hard for me to protect him, right? I can't, I can't leave him off of an island because Clemson will scheme him 
into being in a one-on-one situation and out there on an island left to survive by himself um, castaway style. So that's what I think is going to happen. I think Jamari Sawyer is going to get the initial start at left tackle. Is he going to come into this camp as light as he was last year when he knew he was going to have to play an entire season at left tackle? Probably not. I think you're going to see Jamari Sawyer in a camp at about 330, 335 pounds because he's preparing not only to play guard this year towards the end of the season, but to play guard in the NFL. So I think you're going to see Jamari look a little heavier than he typically did at the start of the season last year, more looking like he did at the Peach Bowl, right? A little bit thicker in the hips, a little bit thicker in the waist, and a little bit heavier getting ready to play guard. Not again, not only towards the end of this year, but moving on into his professional career. So I do think despite what happens in camp and maybe maybe Broderick Jones just absolutely shows up and balls out all camp and they just can't help but start him. Same thing for Amarius Mims. Maybe Xavier Trust has the camp of his life, you know, similar to like Owen Condon did last year. But I think performances in camp like Owen Condon had last year might scare Kirby Smart away from a an irrational decision based off what he sees in a six-week practice time schedule, right? We saw Owen Condon. The whole talk of camp was about how Owen Condon had a great camp last year. He gets to start at right tackle. Within a quarter, they got to pull him and put Warren McClendon in there. And guess what? McClendon didn't come out the rest of the season, and he played like an all-SEC uh, offensive tackle. So there you have it. Um, I, I do think that's what happens. I think you see Jamari Sawyer out there. They rotate as many guys as they can to find out who that alpha dog's going to be at left tackle after the Clemson game. Because you go home and you play UAB, and you're like, hey, well, we got UAB on the schedule. Now let's get Amarius Mims, uh, you know, loose and ready to go. Now let's get uh, Jamar, or excuse me, uh, Xavier Trust. Now let's get Broderick Jones out there and loose and comfortable at the left tackle position. Let's not throw him to the Sharks game one, week one against Clemson. So that left tackle battle, it's important to figure out what's going to happen in camp, but I don't. I think it's an uh, uh, incomplete study before the Clemson game. I think you're going to play Jamari Sawyer and then figure it out after that when you got a really, really favorable schedule moving forward. I think there's nine games. I was talking about uh, this to uh, a friend of mine the other day. There's nine games on that Georgia schedule this year where you leave the football game, and if Georgia doesn't win by at least 21 points, Georgia fans are sitting there going, well, we played like doo-doo today. Because there's a lot of Charleston Southern, UABs, Georgia Techs, South Carolinas, Tennessees, okay, schools that are rebuilding, okay, and schools that aren't even close to even starting a rebuild. They're just in a, you know, torrential downpour, basically, in terms of a football program. So there's a lot of that going on on that schedule this year where you're going to have an opportunity to get a real left tackle, not a guard, you know, showcasing as a left tackle, out there and warmed up and ready to go. We will have Q&A at the end of the night. So hold on to those questions. We'll be very, very quick on those because I got to record another podcast after this. Um, but that's my first question. What are they going to do at left tackle? What can they figure out? The other one's obviously the second cornerback position. Look, you don't bring De'Aaron Kendrick in from Clemson, uh, an all-ACC type of football player, a guy that's got more career starts than literally anybody on your defensive side in the, in the secondary. You don't bring that guy in if you're not going to start him. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know. It's a little anticlimactic. Yeah, they'll talk about how he's getting, you know, accustomed to the system. And maybe you don't hear about him, you know, being with the ones during the first scrimmage, you know, when, when all the insider intel comes out over on patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin. Maybe you don't hear about him then. But guess what? He's going to be starting against Clemson. Spoiler alert. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know. The question this camp is between Amir Speed, Jalen Kimber, Keely Ringo, uh, and maybe even Nyla Green. Who earns the spot for that second gig, right? Who is the one that's going to be 
being bat being Robin to Darren Kendrick's Batman. Okay. Who's going to be the Tyson Campbell to the Eric Stokes that is Darren Kendrick. That's what you're going to have to figure out in the six weeks leading up to Clemson. Okay. And even then, I still think you're going to see a heavy rotation of what's going on at the cornerback position in that first game, even against Clemson, unless someone gets really, really hot, right? Unless a mere speed goes out there and starts or, or, uh, Keely Ringo goes out there and starts, and he's just absolute clamps from snap one. If that's the case, you probably won't see a rotation. Maybe one of them's just lights out all camp, and it's like, hey, we found our guy. This guy has shown up, been an alpha all camp, been an alpha all summer during seven-on-seven and during player-led workouts. So we're going to let the guy get the start, and we're, and we're comfortable. We're just going to ride it out the rest of the season. That's the question you got to answer during camp. The other one for me is it, it revolves around the secondary as well, is wh- what's going to happen behind Lewis Seen and Chris Smith. Look, I know Tyke Smith has some, you know, history playing safety, but it was really at West Virginia. They they wanted to pull the fifth DB off the field and they wanted to play another outside linebacker, but Tyke Smith was just too damn good to pull him off the field. So what they did was they took him from the nickel spot where he's going to play this year at star and moved him back to free or strong safety and let him play. Are they going to do that at Georgia if someone goes down? I don't know. I guarantee you he's going to cross train. Okay, once he gets comfortable playing the star position and learning that playbook, they're going to cross train him at free and you know left and right safety, field and boundary safety. They're going to do that. My question is, originally to start the season, where does that initial you know secondary depth come from at the safety position? I know Chris Smith and Lewisine are ball players; they're absolute great football players. But what happens when Lewisine takes somebody's head off in the middle of the field and gets a targeting penalty in the first half against Clemson? I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying there's a possibility. We know that, right? His history tells us that's possible. So where's that depth come from? Is it a guy like David Daniel? You lost Major Burns um, to the to the transfer portal. Dan Jackson looked good in spring practice. Um, does one of these freshmen that's enrolling get, get involved in, in, in this backup role? You know, David being one of those guys. That's what I'm curious to see. Who are those names in that back end that we start hearing more and more about during fall camp? This guy looks great. He's climbed up the depth charts. That's important for Georgia moving forward because as good as they are with now, with with, with the transfers that have been made and the the transfer acquisitions that have been made by Kirby Smart, as good as they are in that defensive back crew now, they're still really shallow. There is not a whole lot of depth back there. Camp is about figuring that out in the secondary for me. Another question I got is health at wide receiver. Okay, I, I, I know Dominic Blaylock's going to be back this year, but at what point? Right. Is he going to be ready for Clemson? I don't know. That's something we're going to have to figure out during camp. Right. Marcus or Simi Jack Saint. If you look on social media, if you look on the kid's Instagram page, he looks healthy and ready to go. hundred percent. We'll find out. Right. OK, so th- those are two guys that I'm really, really watching closely and I won't be watching them because Kirby locks everything out from the media as he should. OK, as he should during a preseason camp. I wouldn't want any secrets being let out either. So, um, yeah, we're not going to be able to see it. We're going to have to listen to it. So we're going to have to we're going to have to talk to sources. We're going to have to report it on Patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin. We're going to have to do all that. I'm going to have to be digging up information for you guys because we're not going to be able to see it physically. Okay, so health at the wide receiver position is one of my questions. And my final question uh, that we're probably not going to get figured out this camp is what does that running back rotation look like? Okay, I, I thought. Year two of Kendall, the Kendall Milton experience was going to be something that I was really, really looking forward to. And then not just Zamir White came back, not just James Cook came back, but both of them. Okay, so now you're in the same predicament you were last year, except a little bit worse. Okay, in the sense that you've got five mouths to feed. Okay, five of them, if you include Dejon Edwards. You've got five mouths to feed, 
in that running back room and only so many touches on an offense that I think is going to go about 52-48 in terms of uh, pass to run. Last year, they were about dead even 50-50. year before, they ran the ball 55% of downs before Todd Munkin got there. Okay, Todd Munkin's history as an offensive coordinator, I tracked it. We ran an Excel sheet on it over on dogsdaily.com. Over his history as an offensive coordinator, including his days in the NFL, he's on average 52% pass. I think he's going to get back to that this year with the offense that they have. So what that means is there's extremely limited touches for that running back room. That means the rotation that you have, how you choose to utilize those talented backs is vital. It's extremely vital. Um, we've talked about it at Dogs Daily about how it's a, 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 or a, a bell cow back versus a gadget back type of discussion, right? You want to have a first and second down back, obvious rundowns. You got to have a big bruiser that can play inside the tackles and run inside the tackles. Obviously, Zamir White and Kendall Milton be two of those guys, right? And then you got to have a gadget back, a guy on third down that you can maybe split out, run in motion, get into a one-on-one situation like James Cook had against Alabama and torch a, a linebacker that's matched up in one-on-one out of empty, right? That's that gadget back type of offensive running back that we're talking about that Munkin likes to use. I think, obviously, two guys, James Cook um, and Kenny McIntosh, fit that role. Whereas I, I think the only two backs on the entire roster where I feel comfortable saying, yeah, those two guys can do all that you ask and require of the running back position. Those two guys for me are Kendall and Kenny. I, I legitimately think Kendall Milton, if you wanted to, you could throw him the ball four or five times a game and let him get loose out of the backfield. I, I feel confident in that nowadays. The problem that preceded last year, as you would expect for a true freshman, is pass protection. But guess what? They didn't ask Kenny and James to do a whole lot of pass protection last year. Occasionally they would, yes. But they did a whole lot of checking the back out of the backfield on, on third and mediums and third and longs last year. And if you want to do that with Kendall, I think he can do that. Whereas Kenny, the other flip side of the discussion is he's the only one of those quote-unquote gadget backs that I believe comfortably, if you line him up in the backfield on third and three, defenses genuinely don't know what he's going to do because he can run inside the tackles. I don't believe after watching James Cook for three years that he can, whereas Kenny, I feel comfortable that he could. So I think those two are the two guys for me that I want to see selfishly because I, I appreciate their talents. I want to see them get on the field a lot more, but now that room's even more crowded than it ever was before because now you've got guys that are creeping into upperclassmen status that are ready to have their line, their time in the limelight, right? Ready to have their time to shine in Kendall and Kenny. And guess what? You're gonna have to get them the ball. Um, and you've also got two older guys that they're, they're, you know, their NFL futures are on the line this year. They are, for for that matter, I thought they were on the line last year. And guess what? They're back. So that kind of tells you what the NFL thought of them, or at least what they thought of what the NFL thought of them by them coming back. All right. So that that's kind of my questions for camp. And I again. Some of those we're not going to have answers to, um, which kind of stinks, but it is what it is. Um, it, those are questions for the season, really, not just for camp. Um, appreciate all you guys for being here. We'll take a break to let you guys know to give me that thumbs up on YouTube. Again, that helps us out over here. That helps support the program. Uh, if you have to cut out at any time tonight, don't worry. We got the audio recorded for you on podcast platforms. Just search the Film Guy Network. All right, so I teased today. Um, Sorry, I always got to check my phone because you never know what type of nugs are getting thrown to the phone. And there was one right there. Patreon folks, you'll get that after the show. Please feel free to remind me in the Discord, which I know you guys will. Um, nug coming hot right after the show. Um, anyways, let's talk about this thing that I told you that Georgia fans kind of got to let go. Um, 
every day, it seems like. When I open that little bird app, you know, the tweeter tweet, um, when I open that little bird app, I see some Georgia fan going after whether it be Quincy Avery or Jamie Newman. And look, I told you on my Twitter feed I was going to make some people mad tonight. So if you get mad at me, I'm sorry, but it's kind of on brand for me. Um, anyways, every day when I open it up, I see somebody going after him, you know, saying he made the wrong decision, saying Quincy, you know, tweeting at Quincy, doing whatever with Quincy. Um, and you know what? Y'all think he's the sole reason. Y'all think Quincy Avery is the sole reason that your starting quarterback opted out for the 2020 season. And, and look, I'm not going to sit here and act like, um, you know, I have any inside information on this. Okay. I do know Quincy Avery. Quincy Avery knows me. That's the extent of our, our, our relationship. That's it. We know who each other is. That's period, point blank. But what I can tell you about Jamie Newman's opt-out of the 2020 season, um, and I hope that you listen to this tonight and just put it to bed, okay? Because, yeah, he's him opting out kind of screwed your season last year, at least to start. Um, but when a young man takes to Twitter and says, and I quote, with much prayer and discussion with my family, I would like to announce that due to uncertainties of this year, amid a global pandemic, I will officially opt out of this football season and prepare for the upcoming 2021 draft. And he goes on to you know, give thanks to Kirby Smart and give thanks to the Georgia group um, and, and talk about all the relationships that he made in a brief time. All good, all fine and great, right? Now, you know, he says all of that and everyone calls BS, right? They say, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a cop out. You know, COVID ain't what, you know, what it is, whatever. He, he's lying. He just wants to skip a season and go to the NFL because Quincy Avery told him to. That's what most of the takes were on Twitter. And then you come to find out, at least I did, and you guys probably did too via his social media, that the guy had a girlfriend that happened to be pregnant with his firstborn child during all of this. Okay, and, and, and look, I, I don't care what your opinions or your thoughts are on COVID. I don't particularly care what your thoughts are on Quincy Avery, for that matter. But what I saw was a first-time father um, making what he thought was the best decision for his health and safety of his family. And to me, that's enough. Whether he was right, whether he was wrong, your animosity is wrong for the kid, right, or for the young man. The animosity you have for him is wrong because in his heart of hearts, with a pregnant girlfriend with his firstborn child, he thought he was making the best decision for the health and safety of his family. And he said it in his quote, right, in his statement when he first came out and, and decided to opt out. That should be enough. That, that should be plenty, okay? Again, don't care what your thoughts are on COVID. Don't, I, I don't. I really don't. I care about your thoughts as a human respecting another human saying, I'm worried for the health and safety of my family. So we're, we're just going to sit this one out. And if it costs me an NFL draft selection, that's fine. I got a healthy baby. And that's the decision he made. You should respect that. You should stand by that. And you should stop going to Twitter and tweeting at people because you're angry. Okay, don't be angry. The guy made the best decision for his family that he thought was the best decision for his family. And I wish and hope that after tonight's segment, as you're watching this, you put it to bed. And when you see it on your Twitter feed, don't even engage in it. Okay, when you see it on Facebook, don't even engage in it. Just be like, ah, eh, they just don't respect the human nature of these things. That's all you need to think. That's all you need to say and all you need to think about it. Okay. Um, all right. We're 24 minutes in and we are two segments down. I love that. That just tells you again, look out. Whoo, we are firing off the takes, boy. Your boy is rosy in the cheeks. I love it. So glad to be back on MBR and so glad to be back in my groove. Again, man, if you watched me last week, I was a little. You know, I, I consider myself a professional in front of these microphones. I, 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 I truly hold myself up there with just about anybody, but that's my arrogance and my, 
you know, debaggery that everybody hates so much about me. But I do. I hold myself in limelight with just about anybody on these microphones. Last week was a very humbling experience for me. Um, this week, not so much. We back, baby. We back like we never left, even though we left for a good minute. And we had a B minus show last week, but we are back to an A plus programming here on NBR. Appreciate you guys for being here. Let's get into these Florida discussions, right? I know Florida fans. I hope you're here tonight. I hope you're here to tell me how fat I am and how bad my haircut looks. Um, that's okay. Okay. It's all good. I actually didn't wear my Target gear tonight. I wore, you know, some name brand stuff, some Under Armour gear. Um, my Bill Belichick, sawed off hoodie. Love it. One of my favorites. Um, but anyways, Florida's getting kind of trashed right now in the preseason discussions, right? Heard some talking faces and talking heads, I guess is the terminology, similar to myself. Very big talking head here. Um, some people saying that they're going to be left off the top 25 in the preseason polls. And I'll go ahead and tell you right now, preseason polls mean about as much to me as single-ply toilet paper, okay? And here's what I mean by that. They're cheap, they're ineffective, and usually they start to crumble when the business actually gets started, right? Preseason polls, single-ply toilet paper, not really worth it, all right? Um, but you have to understand something about Florida. When people come out here and they say that Florida's going to be down this year, Florida's not a preseason top 25 candidate this year, um, you have to understand that Florida, okay, they lost six offensive starters from a year ago, right? They lost Kyle Trask, the starting quarterback. They lost Kyle Pitts, a generational talent at the tight end position, the super slot position, I like to call. Kadarius Toney, another freak. Uh, Trayvon Grimes, which everybody seemed to forget, except for Tyson Campbell because he dunked on him uh, in, in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Um, they lost a starting guard and a starting tackle. They lost a lot offensively from a year ago they had 16 guys at their pro day all of which were uh, contributors on last year's football team last year's eight and four football team um all of which were contributors from a year ago all of which are no longer there so there's a lot of holes to fill right and guess what when you don't quote unquote care about recruiting when you're not a recruiting guru when you're just an offensive analyst and you're just an offensive guy and a quarterback guru, and you're just a quote-unquote great coach that takes mediocre talent and makes them better, I'm here to tell you that when you recruit like that, guess what? You're not going to be able to rebound from a mass exodus like every other program that recruits really, really well. Okay, So is Florida a top 25 caliber football team this year? By God, if you're Dan Mullen or Dan Mullen's family, you better hope so. I'm telling you right now, you better hope so, because you think recruiting's bad now. Wait until you turn in a third or fourth finish in the SEC East. If that's what it's going to be this year, which I'm not calling that. I still think they finish second. But if that's what it turns out to be, if you turn out to be a third or fourth team in the SEC East, if Kentucky leaps you, if Missouri leaps you, whew, man, you're recruiting right now based off your offensive prowess, and that's it. That is it. Your offensive prowess and your ability to finish maybe first, most likely second in the SEC East on a perennial basis under Dan Mullen. And if that doesn't happen, your top 12, your top 15 recruiting classes, they're going to plummet. Okay, they are absolutely going to plummet. Now, I'm not here to be an alarmist, even though Florida fans watch this and we go, oh, that's just the Georgia beat writer just pounding the Georgia drum. And I just told you, I don't think they're going to be that bad this year because the SEC East is that bad this year. So Florida should be an eight and four football team this year. They they should. You should lose to Alabama. You should lose to, I think, one of your other crossover games that's pretty tough. Okay. And you're probably going to lose pretty handily to Georgia. Clip it. 
Okay, you're probably going to lose pretty handily to Georgia, and you're going to probably drop another one in there. So, yeah, if you're an 8-4 and four football team this year, that's fine. You finish second in the SEC East, that's okay. But here's my thing about Florida fans, and I see it on my timeline all the time. I see it on my mentions, for that matter, that, oh, Kirby Smart's just a good recruiter. He's not a good coach. Well, you know, they, they say that all the time. I see it all the time. Meanwhile, they're flaunting around, you know, anywhere from a 12th to a 20, you know, 20th type of recruitment class year in and year out under Dan Mullen. Okay, and I'm just here to tell you that the reason Georgia can break school records two years in a row under Kirby Smart in terms of guys being drafted in the NFL and then immediately the next year be back in national title discussions is because they recruit extremely well. It's because they have dudes on their roster every year. And do you know why? Because they care about recruiting. Kirby Smart has built his platform off of recruiting. And guess what? Who else does that? Alabama. Guess who else does that? Clemson. Guess who else does that? Ohio State. Do you know why they don't go into a season after having the greatest offense they've had in 10 years and be talked about outside the preseason top 25? Because they recruit well. Because they stack their roster and reload their roster every single year. So when there is a mass exodus, when guys do leave, when you lose a starting quarterback, when you lose three of your top wide receivers, you're right back in the thick of things because you got guys on your roster. You got dudes on your roster. Okay, so there you go. When, when, when you don't have the ability to reload, it's because you're not recruiting at an elite level in a conference that has a bunch of schools that do recruit at an elite level. My uncle, who knows nothing about football, can recruit at a top 10 level at Florida and LSU. You can go outside your dorm room at Gainesville. You can go outside your coaching office in Gainesville, Florida, and freaking hit a pitching wedge 140 yards and smack a four-star in the face with the golf ball. They're everywhere. And the fact that you can't recruit them because whether or not you care about recruiting, whatever it is, you can't do it, that's a problem. That's a problem, and I don't care how good offensively you are as a head coach. And I've been I've been on the record with that. I think Dan Mullen's a great offensive coach. But guess what? A big and a really big portion of the job in college football is the ability to recruit. That's what it is. Honestly, it's like that in the NFL too. If you don't have good good to great players, I don't care if you're Bill Belichick, you're still going to turn in a 7-9 season when your roster is depleted. Okay, You're still going to do it. I don't care how great of a football coach you are. All right. So until Florida does the goes out and has the ability to recruit at, you know, at least the top 10 level, because it's inexcusable to be outside the top 10 at Florida, in my opinion. Um, until they do that, you're gonna have years where you look up and you're like, oh man, we were really, really good last year. We were. And this year, man, I don't know. We got so many questions. We got so many issues. We got so many problem areas on our roster that we just don't know about, right? Don't care how good your coaching is. It's about the Jimmys and Joes in college football. It is only so much about the X's and O's. And when you combine both of them, right, when you recruit at a top five level and you coach at a top five level, you end up being Alabama. You end up being Clemson. Okay, that's what happens. Um, but you got to do it for over a decade. You've got to stack that wealth over the decade. You can't just show up one year with, you know, the previous coach's talents, which that's what Kyle Pitts was. That's what Kadarius Tony was. That's what Trayvon Grimes was. Mullen didn't recruit any of those guys. He kept them on their roster. Kudos to him for doing that. But he didn't recruit none of those guys. Guess what? Now all those guys are gone. And now you're looking in the cupboard and you're saying, oh, 
cupboard's kind of bare. Well, that's because your coach don't really care about recruiting. And that's why your coach was out searching for NFL jobs in the offseason. Because he's done with it. He don't want to do it. He wants to sit back, watch film, call plays, design concepts, and go out and score 50 points. And that's fine. But 90, I wouldn't say 90%. I would say 70% of this job is recruiting. Hell, the entire offseason is recruiting. That's what it is. From January to August, you're recruiting. And even in season, you're recruiting. You're recruiting, you're recruiting, you're recruiting. And they got a whole bunch of coaches on that staff in decision-making roles that don't really care about recruiting. Talk to a, 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 a top prospect that's getting recruited by Florida and ask them, especially on the defense side of the ball, ask them, say, hey, how often do you talk to Todd Grantham? They'll say, oh, you talking about the D.C.? Yeah, no, nah, I don't hear from him. Well, who do you talk to? Well, I talked to recruiting analyst number eight. I talked to recruiting analyst number six. They got like 15 of them. You know why? Because their coaches don't recruit. Guess who does recruit at the University of Georgia? The coaches. When a wide receiver is getting recruited by Georgia, guess who calls them? Cortez Hankton. When an inside or outside linebacker is getting recruited by the University of Georgia, you know who calls them? Dan Lanning. Glenn Schumann. You know who's not calling them? Some 22-year-old recruiting analyst that nobody's ever heard of. That's the case down at Florida. It's not at Georgia. There's a priority shift, right? There's a, there's a difference of uh, rank where recruiting stands at each of these programs. And at the perennial powerhouses, the schools that are in it every single year, the schools that don't go into a season where guys are like, yeah, I mean, maybe they're a top 25 preseason team, but I think what realistically sits is them right around like 15. Georgia fans, will their heads will explode if they enter a season pre-ranked, preseason ranked 15. Their heads would explode. The hell, they get mad when they're preseason ranked fifth because they think they're better than Ohio State. Okay, so that's the difference. And until it changes, you're just going to have, you know, every four years, you're going to have a good football team. And then you're going to be like, oh, well, you know, now we don't. Okay, so that's the case down there in Florida. Are they a top 25 football team? I think so. Um, but until there is a, you know, a priority shift or at least meet in the middle somewhere between we're just going to be great coaches and we're going to be great recruiters, until there's a meeting in the middle somewhere there, you're going to have these years at Florida under Dan Mullen. Guess what? Just like you had him at Mississippi State, okay? Every four or five years, Mississippi State was a legitimate contender. Not a contender, but a legitimate, hey, we're going to finish. Mississippi State, y'all might look up and they might finish third this year in the SEC West. That happened every once in a while. It doesn't. It's, it's going to happen the same way at Florida because guess what? It's already happening, right? He revitalized that program initially but they've kind of tapered off year in and year out every single year, especially recruiting that roster's looking worse and worse and worse and worse. And guess what? If he gets one quarterback, if he gets one guy that's a difference maker, you're going to be okay. You are. Just like you had that one offense last year that was a difference maker. But, you know, that's hope and a prayer, right? That's hoping that Dak Prescott shows up on your doorsteps one day. That's hoping that Kyle Pitts is transcendent. That's hoping that Kadarius Tony is transcendent. Okay. That's not, that's not going out and making it happen because that ain't happening down there in Florida. All right. On to our last segment of the night. And I saved it for last because it is a little bit controversial. Um, and I'm probably going to get trashed on whatever boards. No, actually, the boards that trash me, I think, are in my favor on this discussion. So um, that'll be fun. Maybe you'll see me on those boards actually getting talked about in a good light. Doubt it still, probably. Um, but it's about all these media members signing these players to promote their product. 
right? Or to promote the kid to promote their product. Okay. I'm, I'm just going, go and let you know. Shocker. I didn't go to journalism school. I never sat through a journalism ethics class. Never did. Okay. Honestly, fun, fun fact. I, when I first got hired by Sports Illustrated to cover Georgia, first thing I did was go into the journalism school up there at Georgia and sat down with the head of the journalism department. And she asked me a bunch of questions why I was there, what I was wanting to do. And, uh, you know, I told her, I was like, here, I, I'm, I'm here to get some interns and help them out um, and maybe teach them, you know, what, what's going on here, teach them, you know, whatever I know. And the lady was like, you don't know anything. Matter of fact, I'm not, I'm not letting any, this was two years ago. Matter of fact, I'm not, I had like 400 followers on Twitter. Nobody knew who the hell I was. Um, I'm not letting any of my people work for you. I might, I might give you like the, the people who are going to end up flunking out of our program, but I'm not giving you anybody. Um, matter of fact, if you want to come sit through some of my classes, feel free. And she, she gave me the class schedule, rather humbling experience. Um, I would like to have that same conversation with her now. Um, but I don't, I, I, it's useless to me. I don't, I don't really care. Um, but anyways, I, I don't have a journalism degree, never sat through a journalism ethics class. Georgia's head of their journalism department actually made fun of me the first time I ever met her. Okay. So I don't come from a journalism background. I don't really care about journalistic codes and journalists. I do care about ethics, right? I do think there's some crossover here with ethical issues, but I have a master's degree in business administration. I know business. That's all I know. Um, so let's talk about this idea of paying athletes to promote your media product. Okay. Let's talk about this from a business perspective first, and then we will get into whatever it is we're talking about with journalistic ethics. Um, point blank business is about profit, right? How much money do we make? How much money of that that we made? How much of that gross profit do we get to keep in net profits? That's what it is. Bottom line, right? That's where bottom line comes from. When people say, and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Well, the bottom line in business is the dollar amount that you get to take home. That's all that matters. Making a net profit at the end of the year. Okay. So, you know, you have to make initial profits or a high enough profit margin to justify that initial investment, correct? That's what business is about. That's what good business looks like. We invested this much capital into this product. This product brought back this much income. We take home this much net revenue. Bottom line, right? Okay, so that's why these folks are doing this. Do not get it twisted. This is not about paying players so they can have food on their table or whatever, you know, feel good story you want to make it about. This is about business. People are paying these athletes because they think that these athletes will bring in enough business for them to take home additional net revenues. That's why businesses are ran. They are not here for charity cases. They are not here to make good storylines out of paying athletes. And again, putting food on their table. That is not what this is about. These companies that are doing this or these people, these individuals that are doing this are doing this because they believe they can make a profit off of these kids as if they don't have enough opportunity to do so, covering them without paying them, you know, like this guy. Okay. It's great. You get to pay them. It's all good. Um, that brings us to our next discussion, but I wanted to lay that out. If y'all think these are out here just to pay kids, no, they're, they're doing this because it's business and they think it's going to bring them in net profits. And look, I'm, I'm the definition of a capitalist uh, when it comes to open market business. I am here to make a living to feed my family, period, point blank. I ain't going to make no bones about that, okay? I ain't going to sit here and lie to you. I ain't going to sit here and do none of that. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm here to make a profit and feed my family. That's what it is about, okay, for all of us involved. 
Okay, that's why you've seen some of the decisions that you've seen made, um, like, you know, maybe a major journalism outlet reporting about a kid's felony charges for removing a boot um, on his car, a parking boot on his car the day the kid announced that he was transferring to a rival school. That's what it's about. It's about business. It's about driving rates and clicks and revenues to your business. Okay, I understand that. I go about doing it in a different way than some of these people choose to do so. Okay, now let's talk about this quote unquote conflict of interest that I've seen so much on Twitter. Okay, I've already told you, I'm not a journalism guy. I am a journalist, but I come from a business background. Master's in business, not a master's in journalism, okay? Um, But I have worked in this space long enough to know a couple of things. But one thing in particular, look, man, I'm gonna be honest, when Georgia wins, guess who also wins? I win, okay? I win in revenues, I win in clicks, I win in subscriptions, I win. When the University of Georgia's football program wins, so does dogsdaily.com or dogsdaily.com on SI. Okay, when Georgia football wins, so does Brooks Austin, Brooks Austin's Patreon. I am aware of that, and I am honest and upfront with you. Funny story, I had a guy after Georgia lost the Alabama game, exit, like canceled his subscription on Patreon, and when you cancel your subscription on Patreon, which I do not recommend, um, when you cancel your subscription on Patreon, they give you an exit survey, basically saying, hey, why'd you leave? Um, and his response, this individual's response was, um, I left because if Georgia can't win nothing, I ain't paying for nothing. Right after the Alabama game, lost a sub because Georgia lost. Okay, so a direct tie-in to my net incomes. Facts. Okay, when Georgia wins, Brooks wins. So, or Brooks wins. So am I a fan of Georgia football? I wouldn't say that. Okay, I, I wouldn't. I don't root when they score. I don't. I, I care, but I don't care. You know what I'm saying? I care for my own selfish reasons, just like you care for your own selfish reasons. But um, do I want them to win and win often? 100%. Yes. Because again, it's good for my business. So how does that correlate to this, right? How does that correlate to a conflict of interest? The conflict of interest is the fact that you are responsible as a journalism entity for covering these people without bias, even though I just told you there are some biased aspects of what we do. Again, if Georgia's seven and five, <laughs> my business goes down. I lose money, big time money. Okay. But if you're going about this in whatever journalistic code that you believe in as a journalist, if you're going about this, paying athletes and putting them on your payroll that you're supposed to cover, you can't really cover um, without bias, without direct conflict of interest, which is the issue that you have to, you're, you're seeing a lot of these journalism uh, companies go into. Right. Myself included. Look, I ain't, I'm going to tell you right now, you will not see Brooks Austin paying athletes to promote Brooks Austin's work. You won't see it. OK, you won't see me paying athletes to come do interviews or podcasts or anything like that. You just won't see it. OK, um, not in any near future. OK, unless this just becomes absolutely rampant, um, which I probably believe it will. But what you're getting into is 100 percent against whatever journalism code that the blue check brigade went through in college. Okay. They did. I'm telling you right now, there is number one. Don't, don't get in bed with the people that you're covering or matter of fact, don't, don't get in bed with anybody that you're doing business with. Right. I mean, that's the fact of the matter, but it goes back to, I I brought up the fan debate because I'm not one of these people. Now you won't see we or us or any of those pronouns used on our articles. Okay. That is against our journalism code as Sports Illustrated. But I'm not against fan-based outlets. Jamie Goodman's one of my best friends. He is a firm believer that fans can cover this sport. 
and cover it really well without bias. And you know what? To an extent, I believe him. And here's why I believe him. Ain't nobody more mad about a mistake made by a coaching staff or a mistake made by a player than the fan that's really, really emotionally invested. I am financially invested in the in the benefit of George. I am not emotionally invested, but I guess you could say that through financial investment, there is emotional ties, right? It's hard not to agree with that. Um, so I'm not one of these people that's out here like, oh, you do the fan thing, you can't be out here covering this sport unbiasedly. Yeah, no, I'm not one of those people. I am one of those people that say, if you're paying the two running backs at the University of Georgia to produce content for you, A, don't tell me that there's not additional availability because they work for you, okay? Y'all have production meetings. Y'all do all that stuff. I got a, a, a message from the SID department because I tweeted about talking to a Georgia player, okay? I got an email immediately. You can't do that. Don't talk to our players without our permission. Well, what, what, what do you think these media outlets are doing right now? <laughs> they're paying your athletes, right? They're, they're probably having production meetings. They're probably having, you know, discussion meetings about the content that you're going to put forth, right? They're probably having some small talk off the record. I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, throw anybody on the bus. I'm just telling you, don't be ignorant, okay? Don't, don't sit there and say it's not happening when odds are it probably is. And that's okay. Y'all want to do that? That's cool. I'm just letting you know that it goes against everything that y'all stand for in terms of you journalists, okay? You journalists that are out here waving that journalism flag and, and proud of your, your, your schooling and proud of your education and all that good stuff. Well, number one thing they tell you in journalism ethics is don't lay down with the people you're covering. And that's what you're doing. And that's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. You're putting food on the table of athletes. I am pro athletes getting paid from day one. But you're crossing lines that ain't never been crossed before in journalism. And guess what? It took you about two weeks to do it. Literally. two Not even two weeks. We started July 1st. It took you 10 days. It took you 10 days to get in bed with some of these athletes and start paying them. After 100 years of covering them, quote, without bias, right? And not being able to cheer in the press box, which is a real rule, by the way. If you're in a press box and you cheer, they will ask you to leave. It's the first thing they say in the press box before the opening kick. They go through the rules. Number one rule is no cheering in the press box. Why? Because it's a conflict of interest. Just like, in my opinion, paying athletes is a conflict of interest as a media member. If the marketing company wants to pay, you know, JT Daniels, let them. If the local chip branding company wants to pay Brock Vandergriff, the local clothing company wants to pay him, let them do it. That is not somebody that is supposed to be out here covering them under the code that is, quote unquote, journalism. And again, I, I care about it. I care about, you know, producing content that is, you know, unbiased as possible and, you know, straightforward and truthful. But, you know, you're crossing a bunch of it. You're crossing a bunch of these, quote unquote, uh, unwritten rules, except for in journalism, it is a written rule. It's 100% a written rule. It's on your daggum sheet when you get it from the University of Georgia. OK, so I, I don't know where we're going. Are we going to the point where, you know, all the media members and all the media outlets everywhere have a face of their program, programming department that does whatever they do um, for that company? Maybe. But again, it is about business. You know, these companies that have gone out and signed these athletes, and there's only two companies and three players that have gotten into this. Um, I don't know. You guys know who, them are, who they are, so I'm not going to name names. Um, but there's only a couple of them that have done it. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, it's probably not good business, Right. You can only hear about Georgia football players talking about their lives as Georgia football players without being able to actually talk about Georgia football so much. Um, it's the God's honest truth. You can only 
listen to it so much. So is it going to be good business? Maybe. Um, I think it's bad business, first of all. I think it's bad business for morality reasons, ethical reasons, all that good stuff. Um, but it's also bad business because just a bad look. It's just a bad look, um, in my opinion. All right, that is our NBR show for tonight. I guess we can rattle off some uh, some Q&A for about 10, maybe 15 minutes because I've got some tailgate tapes to record, and we are doing Happy Gilmore tonight, one of my favorite sports movies of all time, um, a true goat. So uh, if you could, please rattle off those questions. I'll scroll back up now and see if I missed any. Uh, make sure you put the question mark on them. I see there's a whole bunch of discussions between Georgia and Florida fans here in the comments. That's to be expected. I literally tagged you guys um, in the title. I hope you guys were at least cordial in here, which, you know what? I've ran into a bunch of Florida fans. Y'all ain't that bad. I mean, honestly, the worst is Alabama, no doubt about it. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's the one right there. Uh, y'all probably did. I, I haven't been able to read them, but y'all probably did a bunch of 1980 discussions, 44 to 28 discussions, um, you know, the, the the typical stuff. So it was probably pretty fun to at least watch and observe. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to read it because I was out here delivering these here takes. So let's rattle off these questions, if you could, please. Um, if not, you know, I'll freelance here for a couple of seconds. Um, but here we go. Uh, y'all still doing the Florida Georgia thing. Sometimes StreamYard takes a little bit to get these things up, which it is what it is. Um, biggest surprise of the cookout. Jeremiah, I know what you want me to say. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. You want me to say it's that you're surprisingly large. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Um, I think the biggest surprise to me was that we actually got athletes. I thought it was going to be a whole bunch of internet nerds, honestly. Like, I'm I'm not a great athlete. I'm, I like to fancy myself a, an above-average athlete. Um, but seeing some of our hoopers, Jonathan Williams and Far Out being two of them, my God, dudes can dudes can ball, okay? So that was surprising to me. Um, and I honestly thought it was going to be a little weird, right? I thought it was going to be a little weird. We didn't have any weird people there. Um, guitars were broken out. Beers were consumed. Uh, chicken wings were ate. Shit was talked. I mean, we had a good time at that cookout, and we will probably have even more. Even though it wasn't a cookout, it was literally just it was literally just us eating wings and talking nonsense. Um, so yeah, I think that was my biggest surprise that we weren't all just a bunch of internet nerds. So that was cool. Uh, yes, you did get a shout out, Jonathan Williams. My man's six six with a decent handle and a solid post game. And you know, for most guys that haven't played sports in a couple of years, because we're all you know retired use has beens um, at this point. For somebody who hadn't played in a while, he moves really, really well for a guy that's 6'6". Um, so my little scouting right there. Top four receiving targets this year. Um, start with Jermaine Burton, move to A-Rick Gilbert. Um, probably after that, I will go, uh, let's call it Marcus Rasumi Jack Saint, and then Karis Jackson. So those guys right there. All right, here we go. Can you talk here about the AM recruiting from Discord? I missed that and just curious. Um, don't really know what you're talking about, Colby. Or at least I'll play dumb on that one. Some of these guys, man, I, I'm I'm not going to be taking this stuff live that I would tell you off the record in a Discord chat. So that would also be a reason to hang out with us. Um, but if you want to talk a little bit about uh, AM recruiting, they're getting crushed right now. Georgia is because of Nick Williams. Okay, um, that's just the God's honest truth uh, to an extent, right? You get crushed with Deion Bowie and Barry Alexander. Maybe both of them still end up in Georgia's class. But there's a reason both those guys decommitted the week after they or the weekend after they left um, Texas A&M. So there you go. Uh, Brooks, do you think the dogs land Branson? Um, Branson's been kind of quiet lately, uh, but here's the deal. He's, he's basically down to three, right? He's down to Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee. Let's just be honest. 
Tennessee ain't landing a player like that anytime soon. Okay. That's the God's honest truth. Nobody knows what's going to happen with the NCAA. Maybe the NCAA does nothing to them. Maybe. Um, but maybe they give him like a two year bowl ban. That's half of Branson Robinson's career. Okay. Um, so I, I don't see Tennessee landing a player like this right now. Okay. The other, I'm just laying out situations for you. Alabama's got two running back commits in the 2022 class right now. So Alabama planned as if they weren't getting Branson Robinson a long time ago, a long time ago. And yeah, maybe they do that whole processing thing. I don't think they do with the caliber of guys they've got right now in their, um, in their, you know, recruiting class or yeah. Online game one versus oh, O-line game one versus O-line later in the season. Um, O-line game one, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be Jamari Sawyer left tackle, Justin Schaefer at left guard, uh, Warren Erickson at center, Tate Rattledge at right guard, Warren McClendon at right tackle. Okay, let's go SEC championship game. I think it's going to be Amarius Mims left tackle, Jamari Sawyer left guard, Warren Erickson center, Justin Schaefer right guard, Warren McClendon right tackle. And they're going to be bad, like bad, like bad in a good way, bad, um, in my opinion. I think I, I, I cannot express to you how high I am on Amarius Mims. I can't. I, there's no way for me to sit here and tell you how good that kid is. You're just going to have to see it. And when you see it, you're going to be like, ah, yeah, Brooks was right. And, so, and for that matter, so was every other recruiting service. Amarius Mims was the easiest eval in the history of evals. Like, yep, top 10 pick. We'll see him in four years. Or we'll see him in three years. Easy. Um. If that's your goal at the end of the year, then damn. I don't know what he's talking about. Any concern with Jordan Davis getting his weight down from the spring? Um, I think Jordan Davis rolls around at 350 pounds, and he's a freak athlete even at that weight. So if he plays at 350, he plays at 350. If he's listed at 330 and he plays at 350, he plays at 350. The guy was clocked at practice last year running 19 and a half miles an hour. At 6'6", 345, 350 pounds. At that point, does it matter? Here's what I'm going to tell you about Jordan Davis. And I had some scouts tell me about this in the NFL. They're like, well, we don't know if he's that good of an athlete because we watch him on tape and he just doesn't look like he moves well. Um, what six foot six, 350-pounder ever looks like they move well? Okay, That's why you have GPS tracking systems because you know that he moves well. You can see it in the data. Okay, and that's where everything's going. In a couple of years, 40s forties don't even matter now. I'm going to tell you right now, they don't. At the University of Georgia, they hand-time your 40. That's all good done. They, they put the lasers on your 40 during these camps. But if you're a dude, if you're there actually being recruited, guess what you're walking around in? A catapult sports bra, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Those things that they wear nowadays that look like chick sports bras, they're catapults. And guess what they have in them? GPS tracking systems. Okay, and they measure everything. They measured G-forces. They measured miles per hour traveled. Prime example, and I told this to the Patreon guys a couple of months ago. Not a couple of months ago, about a month ago when, when camps first started. Georgia had a player, not to be named, come in there and run like a 4.78, which typically at the position of, of which this kid played would be marked completely off of the list. Not off for kid. We can't have him. Four or five years ago, that's what it would have been. 4.78, nope, can't do it. Can't play here at that position. Well, then they pulled up the catapult. And the catapult said he ran 21 and a half miles an hour on that said 40. So what does that tell you? The kid ran 21 and a half miles an hour, which for the record is the fastest, one of the fastest times they've had. I think Arian Smith went 21-7, but the kid ran 4.78. So what does that tell you as an evaluator? It tells you that the kid can freaking move, but he don't have a damn clue how to run a 40, which most kids don't, which is why you see them spend, agents spend hundreds of thousands of dollars 
leading up to the NFL draft process and NFL combine to teach these guys how to properly run a 40. Five years ago, that kid doesn't get a Georgia offer. That kid doesn't end up at Georgia. That kid doesn't even get recruited by Georgia. Now, 21 and a half miles an hour, that dude's high up on the board, okay, because he can move, and now they know because they're not stopwatch scouting. They're actually data tracking, so that's good to know. Um, but no, I have no concerns about Jordan Davis playing in whatever weight he wants to play at. Okay, whatever way. Uh, who's better recruiting on UGA staff besides Kirby? Um, I'm good. This is, this is gonna be off the wall for you guys. Um, but I'm gonna go Todd Hartley just because the guy ain't missed. He hasn't. Okay, in 2019, he wanted two guys. He wanted Avery Gilbert or Darnell Washington. Guess what? Now they're both on the roster. Now they're both on the roster. In 2020, he wanted one guy and recruited one guy and one guy only, Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers on the roster. In, or excuse me, that was 2021. So 2020, they went after Darnell and A-Rick. Now they're both on the roster. 2021, he went after Brock Bowers. He's on the roster. In 2022, they've recruited one guy for about a year now, and it's Oscar Delp. And guess what? They're in a dogfight right now. They are in a dogfight with South Carolina because South Carolina seems to believe that they only have to recruit a tight end and spend all of their – uh, time and effort on a tight end. They don't have to recruit a whole class. Just get Oscar Delp and it's a win. Uh, and your fan base will love you, Shane Beamer. I guess former tight ends coach being your head coach probably lead that to happen. But um, he's recruited one guy and he's landed him. So in 2023, right? We're up to 2023 now. Pierce Perlin, he's recruited one guy. Guess what? Pierce Perlin's in the class. It ain't going nowhere. So yeah, I would have to say it's probably Todd Hartley. Who are you higher on, Mims or Green Mims? I'm, I'm extremely high on Nyland Green, higher than the rest of the industry. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Mary Smith is a no-brainer. No one, no one's – or uh, Nyland's going to have to to prove it on the field first. Um, Nolan Smith, Smith, quick checkup. Ain't got one for you. Um, I know there's all kinds of reports and rumors that he's heavier. He's gotten bigger. That's fine. I hear the same nonsense and same boo hockey every offseason with guys that play with underweight. I hear it every year. Oh, Nolan Smith, he's up to 245 pounds. That's fine. That's fine. Talk to me in September. Talk to me in October. Talk to me in December when it actually matters. Is he holding weight throughout the season? Because guess what? He showed up last year at 245 pounds. And by the end of the season, he was 228. Okay, so until these guys can hold on, same thing with Adam Anderson. Every single offseason, everybody wants to write articles, myself included, about how great Adam Anderson looks this offseason, how much weight he's put on. And then guess what? By the fourth game, when you spent four, five, you know, at this point, what? Two months in 100-degree heat on the turf in Athens, going through what essentially equates to two-a-days because you're practicing and lifting. He's back down to 228, 230. So, yeah, I'm sure Nolan Smith looks great right now, just like he looked great last offseason going into camp. And just – I mean, he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. But the the idea that he's just big, save those reports for someone that, you know, may or may not know football. Um, I know how these body types work. I've seen them. I'm the opposite, right? I had to go into camp. Well, I'm actually kind of the same. I had to go into camp really, really heavy because I knew in camp I'd lose 15 pounds. You would. It's all water weight. You you burns your body burns so much during these camp sessions. So um, there's very few people that do the Jamari Sawyer route where they come in at 305 and at the end of the season they're 335. Okay, some of the big guys you got to watch out for. The smaller, you know, guys that have maybe struggled with holding weight over their career, um, those are the guys that you typically expect to lose massive amounts of weight. Mims better than Thomas. It's really, really hard to sit here and say uh, a freshman that we haven't seen on the field is better than the number four overall draft pick um, in the 2020 NFL draft. Let's hold off on this 
Uh, we'll revisit this after two or three years. Um, Nolan Smith steps up. I think I, I mean, he's going to step up in the sense that he's going to be a starter this year. Uh, McCray, what's up, my guy? 99 is a beast, 100%. It's not a, I, I guess it's a, I guess we'll call this a comb over. Um, I don't know what it is. Where is Clay Webb at this point, guard or center? Um, as, and is he lost in the depth chart? So I'll tell you what Kirby Smart said, and he, he said in the most Kirby Smart fashion. He was asked if, uh, if, um, if Clay Webb was going to get a look at center last year. And he scoffed at it and said, Clay Webb's never played it down for us at center. Never has, never will. I don't know where that narrative came from. And he ended it right there. Clay Webb doesn't play center. He plays guard. And no, he's he is buried on the depth chart. There's a lot of guys that are gonna get some PT um before he does. But you know, he'll get in there in a in a in a sense that like if if people get hurt in the middle of the game and they need to trust somebody to go in there and do the right thing and make the right assignments and make the right reads, Clay Webb will play. Um, other than that, no, I don't I don't see it happening. Um uh, where do you th- uh, who do you think starts at the other cornerback position with Darren Kendrick? I think to start, I think it's going to be a mere speed just because the track record of Kirby Smart says play the old guy. That's what it is. That's what it always has been. It's probably what it'll continue to be. Look, here's the deal. When you recruit like Georgia does and you over-recruit at some positions like Georgia does, you have to give the benefit of the doubt to the older guy. You have to make sure that guy loses the job, right? You have to. Same thing as when you bring in transfers, right? When you bring in Eli Wolf, you've got to get Eli Wolf on the field. When you bring in Lawrence Cager, you've got to get Lawrence Cager on the field. When you bring in Tyke Smith, Darian Kendrick, you have to get those guys onto the field. Okay, so um, same thing with older guys in your in your uh, program. Amir Speed has done what you want every recruit to do. He has stuck it out. He has not hit that mythical transfer portal. He has not quit on the program. He has not quit on his teammates. Like you guys always say they do when they hit the portal. He is not a quitter. He is a guy that has stuck it out and played and played and fought and fought and fought. And guess what? Now is his time. You have to make sure that guy loses the job. Okay? Not somebody else wins it. You have to make sure that kid loses the job. And honestly, I thought he played really, really well in the spring game. So I'm, I, I would be comfortable if I'm a Georgia fan, if I see nine rolling out there and getting the start to open the season. Who gets to feast off the edge other than Anderson? Uh, I think it's going to be a free-for-all. You're going to see a whole bunch of guys get after the quarterback this year for Georgia. All right, we're going to take a couple more questions, um, and then I'm going to drink some water and get juiced up for uh, tailgate tapes, which is going to be an excellent episode tonight. I'm super excited for it. How many snaps does Beal get per game? That's a tough question. Let's call it seven, eight snaps a game. Uh, Where would you rank UGA coaching staff out of the SEC? Um, Let's go two. I would go two, honestly. Um, just because Alabama has the guy, right? They got Nick Saban. Um, the rest of the coaching staffs, when I watch them on tape, I, they do some stuff that I'm like, what in the hell's going on there? Georgia, not very often. What would you guess A-Rick's regular season numbers will be? Let's go 45 catches, 750 yards. I think that's a good number. Any word on A-Rick's development at receiver? Um, guys, he's got receiver skill sets. He 100% does. He, he runs routes like a receiver. He runs after the catch like a receiver. And for that matter, he did receiver-type things at LSU last year. Did he line up at the X position outside the numbers every single time? No, he did not. But he can. He 100% can. All right, it is 10.03. I've got another hour and a half worth of content to produce with my boy Dan Kiley and with my boy Cam Brady. I appreciate you guys for being here. We will rack up those free subs. I will put a tweet out tomorrow morning 
for everybody. I'm pretty sure I've already got guys in my direct messages asking for those. Um, so feel free to hit me up at Brooks Austin SI on Twitter, and we will get you those free subs. I think we're over maybe like 10 or 12 tonight on the free subs. So feel free to hit me up for those. Um, and if you don't feel like getting the free one and you just feel like, hey, I like this guy. I don't know why you would. I like this guy. Um, you would be a rarity. I like this guy. I'm going to sign up for his Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin. All right. Appreciate you guys. We will see you next time.